Hey, hi, uh, I am Richard Donner, but you can call me Dick, and you're listening to Superman Movie Minute? Is that right? Did I do it right? thrill-packed episode of Superman Movie Minute, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can flies is 1980's Superman 2, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Franklin, and joining me on this journey through time and space is... Rob Kelly. Hey, Rob, how's it going? Uh, it's great. Uh, I'm ready to uh, watch uh, <laughs> watch the villains uh, burn some sticks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Our minutes begin with the Phantom Zone villains landing near and actually in a river in what I assume is Houston, and it ends with the secret revealed. So some important minutes of the film in this uh, this episode, Rob. Mm-hmm. Very, very exciting. Rob, were you amazed, as amazed as I was, by the this opening sequence as a kid, Zod's little trick here? Yeah. Oh, it's it's really it's a nice it's a nice little gag of just that he he lands kind of like neck deep or not neck deep but like waist deep in the water and then he just rises and walks on the water. Of course, he has the ability to do that. It doesn't make any sort of literal sense. Like, why would he walk on the water? Why wouldn't he just fly? But it it's still a, it's a fun gag. Yeah, it's definitely playing in the whole like you know godlike power <laughs> thing there with uh, walking on water. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. and I, I later saw I think it was. Um, the Cars video for Magic, where Rick Ocasek does the same thing. Oh, that's school. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean, you can, I mean, if you look close enough now in our high-def TVs and Blu-rays, you can kind of see the edge of the platform barely at one point. But, I mean, you know, who cares? Yeah, it, it totally, yeah. It totally works. It looks great. Uh, and uh, the Zoner's display of power is witnessed by the fisherman we mentioned at the end of the last episode. Uh, he was played by Gordon Rawlings, right? Uh, and he will appear in the slapstick sequence uh, at the opening of Superman Three right. as the beleaguered man in cap. So we all know that guy that gets that gets painted on, he gets stepped on, he gets <laughs> this poor guy. He's just got that look about him. This this. Uh, beleaguered look uh looked up his imdb and uh he also has tons of british film and tv cred including the hammer film night creatures with peter cushing and oliver reed i've never seen that one. Oh, you've never seen that one no no that's a good movie it's basically well it is their version of dr sin alias the scarecrow hmm. okay it's that's uh, like disney did their version with uh, patrick mcguin uh, and then Hammer did their version with uh, Peter Cushing, and it was some kind of deal they worked out. Like they were coming out around the same time, and they like, well, you know, Disney basically had the rights, I guess, and they said you can use it as long as you rename the character. So instead of Doctor Sin, he was like Doctor Bliss or something. So huh. it's yeah. it's an it's it's an odd. We're getting way too deep into it, but it's it's a pretty cool little movie. <laughs> it's, uh, Peter Cushing, I'm in, you know. Yeah, and Oliver Reed. So, yeah, you know. I mean, that's a, sure, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. 
Uh, I did want to mention two things about Gordon Rawlings though before we move okay. off this is that of course he obviously was a a, a favorite of Richard Lester as Chris just mentioned he was in Superman three but he was also in A Hard Day's Night. Uh, he's oh. in the classic Hard Day's Night, and he was in the not quite as good Give My Regards to Broad Street, the <laughs> Paul McCartney solo film uh, from 1984, I believe, and he passed away in, in 1985. And then another little detail about Gordon Rawlings and, and Chris, this is right up your alley, and maybe you'll, maybe you'll agree with him, maybe you won't, we'll find out in a moment. I think this actor, Gordon Rawlings, especially in his fisherman gear here, looks a lot like Ernest. From Ernest P. Worrell. And of course, of course, in the movie Ernest Goes to Camp, there is a scene where a kid is reading a comic book and he is reading an issue of Who's Who and he is looking at the listing for The Fisherman, the Aquaman villain. So <laughs> time is a flat circle. Wow. That was a deep dive. Thank Rob. you. Thank you, everybody. This is what you come here for. <laughs> is these absurd deep dives. But I don't I mean, am I crazy? Do you not, do I not think he looks a little like Jim Varney? Yeah, he, he's like a he's. He, he, I can see the Jim Varney. I was thinking he looked a little bit like uh, Doctor Who, John Pertwee too, okay. a little bit. Right, uh, but but I can see that like he's like the love child of John Pertwee and and Jim Varney. Well, that's uh, a but, thought, but okay. <laughs> but yeah, he's got he's got a he's got he's got an earnest like look there. And I mean, of course he he's drinking. It shows him drinking a cup of coffee. And what I think's funny is, I mean, he seems a little surprised when these three people fly in, mm-hmm. but when, when Zod walks across the water, that's when he looks at his coffee and, like, pours it out, you know, throws Classic it over gag, his shoulder. Yeah. Classic gag. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like makes you wonder, did he put a little hooch in that coffee? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but... <laughs> I, I, it is kind of funny to think, I mean, in this world, Superman exists, and everybody knows about him, so mm-hmm. people that can fly is are not it's not that shocking, but I guess you know of course in this world this is there is no DC universe here. Superman is a lone figure, and so anyone else who can fly, I guess it's still pretty surprising. And you know maybe this guy lives in a very rural part of wherever this is, and he doesn't see a lot of footage of Superman, so this is probably maybe still shocking. Yeah, I mean I could definitely see. I'm just kind of surprised he wasn't more shocked when they initially flew in. Right. You know, yeah, I, I, yeah. Like you kind bo- of bury the, bo- the lead there, pal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they they had to save it for the gag when he right. walked across the water. Uh, now, one thing I, I you know we we brought this up before, and I don't mean to keep harping on this, but I think it's really obvious here that you can see in the sunlight when they're out in the natural sunlight, you can see the red detail. Yeah, yeah. In the costumes of the Phantom Zoners, yeah, it's 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 really, I mean, it really pops out here, and you know, like the top, the the boots and the. The, the 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 detail work of the, the the middle of their tunics and and uh, you know basically the the patent leather parts of their of their outfit um, really do shine as 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 very bright red and yeah. as the sun hits it yeah yeah when when Zod is in the water and it's it's clear as day that it's red and it's it's just kind of amazing what the camera does and we all know about the famous effect on the Kryptonian. Uh, costumes that has those are all like little bits of broken glass or something and then when they were photographed a certain way they projected that light and they just discovered that like in the moment but it's just kind of amazing what just simply pointing a camera in a certain way and shooting the lighting can how it can alter your view because when i was a kid the phantom zone costumes were always solid black and then you right. look at them here like no that's like captain america from the marvel movies red that piping that he's got <laughs> 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, on non-muddied uh, <laughs> movie and TV screens, this is what it, that we, we get to see it this yeah. way. So, yeah. uh, so the zoners walk through the woods and Ursa notices a rattlesnake and she picks it up. She calls it a primitive life form. And I guess the snake is insulted because it bites her. <laughs> And she groans a bit in pain and throws it to the ground. So, mm. Rob, why does Ursa even feel the snake bite? I Can wondered you... that myself. I had that in the notes. I'm like, did the snake actually break her skin? I don't – I can't believe that it did. Uh, or uh, their powers are taking a little longer to develop than others. Maybe mm. if I really want to no prize it. That yeah. not all their power. I mean, they can obviously fly and they obviously have strength or whatever. But maybe all their powers are developing a little slowly, and uh, it's just you know maybe it and maybe it, it's not so much that it hurt. It's that she just felt something, and that's like what that. And she just re- and because she's a complete sadist, that's her reaction. It's almost like kind of like when a like a like a toddler hurts themselves and they don't know whether they're in pain or not, and they look to you to see what your reaction is. And a lot of times, <laughs> if you don't react. They're fine, but if you start looking like they're in distress, then they become in distress. It's that kind of thing. I almost wonder if Ursa's just like, I felt something. I don't like that. And, of course, she just reacts immediately. But, yeah, I can't. I mean, imagine that the rattlesnake probably broke his teeth off on, on her hand. Right, right. Well, that's the least of his problems because well, she, throws yeah. it to the, she throws it to the ground and then burns it with her heat vision, which is mm-hmm. the first display of uh, this power for the trio and uh, which, you know, Zod just takes it in stride and she's like, did you see what I did? She's like, you know, our powers are beyond reason or whatever. She's like, we all have them, my dear. We all you know, have like, them, my ah. dear. Yeah. <laughs> every line, every line Terrence Stamp has in this movie is pure gold. Just, he's just yeah. so – he's just chewing into it. So, And we know, we heard that he loved playing for once a two-dimensional character. But, I mean, and that is why he is such a famous – movie villain you know he's up there, like he's in the same breath as like darth vader or whatever because it's just it, the performance is so perfect right and, but but you know i mean he doesn't i mean you know i mean of course it probably wasn't scripted that way but he doesn't like you know go aha yes we are so powerful or something like that he's just all like nonchalant about yep. it because he's, yep. he's just so effortlessly cool you know yep. so <laughs> and and then of course we get non trying to use his heat vision on the snake's charred remains. It, it's, it's a cute bit that will replace several times in the film. And I don't know about you, Rob, but I think Jack O'Halloran really brings a lot of character to Nod <laughs> because this, this could be a completely thankless role in other hands, yeah. I think. Um, anyway, no, I, yeah, I love Jack O'Halloran's, <laughs> you know, he's really straining to try and do that. I really think that's very, very funny. Just he makes that effort to kind of, and it's, he looks like a Warner Brothers cartoon character. Like he just has yeah, that kind of like just big, uh, duh, we'll call him George. He just has that kind of read to him. And I, <laughs> I love the idea that like heat vision is not something that comes naturally. Like you have to kind of like think about it and be like, Hit! you know, and it doesn't quite work. And he, and then he gets disgusted and walks away from himself. I just, <laughs> it's just great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so. I mean, a nice little close up of him and his eyes, the, the furrows his brow down and everything. It's 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 really great. He 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 is really great in this role. Yeah, they're all great. All three of them are just fantastic. So, um, we then cut to the Smiths' honeymoon suite, uh, <laughs> where a thoroughly humiliated Lois is drying off from her attempt to prove that Clark was Superman. Um, so they're back in the suite. Of course, we've got the the pink bear rug. Yep. Uh, which we've set up earlier now because we didn't realize that this 
pink bear, you know, real polyester. Real polyester. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was going to be important. Uh, but uh, Lois is, you know, wallowing in her in her uh, humiliation and asks Clark to bring her uh, her brush. And as Clark brings it to it, he trips over the head of the bearskin rug and falls hand first mm. into the flames of love. Uh, <laughs> Of course, Lois checks his hand, and seeing no burns, knows she was right. Clark Kent is Superman. So this is a huge moment, Rob, especially back in the day when Lois never knew Clark was Superman outside of Earth 2. So what did you think of this as a kid? Uh, I mean, I don't get how he would trip over the bare rug. Like, Superman doesn't trip. He just doesn't. Uh, So that part doesn't make a lot of sense. But I I actually like the moment in that we're seeing for a brief second superman's actually panicking because he th- he doesn't realize that yeah he's got to he the way he regards those glasses as almost a shield i find very interesting like he's willing to go to any length to get those glasses back on his face like he hides behind those glasses which is funny when you think about it, that they're transparent but nevertheless like he just regards them as like a defense mechanism but he panics because he realizes that he could have gotten away with not having the glasses on, but sticking his hand in a fire for right. more than a second is going to give the game away. But that is a more a rare moment of Superman panicking. Like he just right. is so scared that he's going to get revealed that he accidentally trips himself up even further. And I like that. It's a humanizing moment for the, for the character. It's not him being Clark. It's Kal-El or whatever the real guy is for a moment losing his composure. Uh, and I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I, I, I do too. And I like the fact that you get that they get that brief, you know, nervous, oh come on, Lois, and then he just he just he realizes the jig the gig's up and yep. he just yep. like slams his fist down. Of course he don't slam it down as hard as he could or the hotel would have came <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah. Uh but uh he you know walks away and and he he with his back to the camera he changes from mm-hmm. Clark to Superman by, you know, standing up straight, just like we saw in the first movie when he was in Lois's apartment, uh, without a shirt rip, without putting a costume on. Just he's got the glasses, takes glasses off, and stands up straight, and then he's Superman. And uh, to your point, he he actually says, "I don't know why I did that." Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's like, you know, that's a good question. I mean, did he trip? Was it, you know, Lois suggests that maybe he wanted to. In his heart, if not right. in his mind. So, uh, so what do you think? I mean, do you think Superman, like, did he trip on purpose? I mean, that, what, what, I mean, what do we think here? That's a really good question. I mean, like I said, he can't trip. Like Superman right. just doesn't trip over things. So uh, maybe so. I mean, he seems he seems a little shocked that he did it. But yeah, maybe there, like Lois said, maybe you wanted to with your your heart, not with your mind. By the way, uh, slightly off topic, but we're in the scene, is I, I think throughout this movie, uh, Margot Kidder um, didn't receive the the, beauty, the greatest sh- shots in the world in terms of the cinematography. I think some shots, she looks quite harsh. Uh, yeah. And that's the fault of uh, Richard Lester and the fault of the cinematographer or whatever. But she looks radiant here. That shot of her where she looks up kind of doe-eyed at him uh, I think she looks phenomenal, so I really like that yeah. scene. And it's a romantic scene. I'm mean, obviously they're making it, trying to make them look as appealing as possible. But yeah, no, I think he's he's probably um, on some level he's he probably maybe wanted to do that in some part of him, and he doesn't realize it. And the fact that he gives it up so quickly, and I like that he does the old Bud Collier trick where he lowers his voice because when he's right. when he's defending himself, his clock he's kind of talking like this a little bit, and then he's you know, and then when he gives it up, he's he's like. 
you know, we really got to talk. Like he lowers down into a register because yeah. now he's Superman at that point. So I love all that stuff. It's such a it's it's subtle, and again, of course, he's not the first guy to do it. But uh, nevertheless, it's a great little gag that he that's the level of the identity obfuscating that he's doing is that he's changing his posture. He's got the glasses, his hair and his voice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. This, this whole, this whole scene's a nice, it's a nice, again, it's a nice scene with them. And and although it does make you wonder if he was that, you know, why didn't you think of this just about a half an hour earlier, Clark? (laughs) So you could have saved Lois from potentially drowning or, you know, dying in Niagara Falls being smashed up against rocks or whatever, you know, I mean, it's, It's a good point, Chris. I don't know. They didn't consult you when they were writing this movie. They probably should have. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's like uh, (laughs) – but uh, yeah, you know, Clark – Lois Lois declares her love for for him, and she says, I'm in love with you. And they both agree they need to talk, as you said, but uh, not there since Perry will be calling in soon. Of course, I don't know why they just can't not answer the phone, but uh, (laughs) – I know that line doesn't make a whole lot of sense, uh, you know. Yeah. It's like you know they just he'll just keep ringing. Perry won't stop. He's one of those guys that'll just keep calling to you pick up the That's phone. That's probably maybe. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Clark suggests that they go to his place, which mm. uh, uh, I, I really like this bit, uh, Rob. We know where he's talking about, but of course Lois doesn't know no. where he's talking about. No. So it, it's another thing that puts us into the story as an insider more. We're like, oh, you're in for a treat because he's not talking about his apartment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not going to 344 Clinton Avenue or whatever it is. I think I got that right. right. But, yeah, no, he's – You did, yeah. Oh, thank you. Oh, all right, go. Um, <laughs> my nerd credentials are solid. So, yeah, no, we're going to go to his – one of the great sets in all of film history, I would say. But, yeah, it's I, – I love the way he refers to it as my place. It's just such kind of a casual – Kind of thing. You're like, yeah, I'm about to take you to the most marvelous architectural structure in the history of planet Earth outside of like maybe the Taj Mahal or something. But, but I'll just refer to it as my place. Like, okay, all right. It's, it's, yeah, Lois is, you're in for a treat. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love that the, she's like, that she suggests that she needs to change. And she says, well, maybe you better change too. And we get a nice chuckle out of Reeve. And of course, he gives us that, that winning smile. Uh, so it's, it's just a really nice scene. I'd say, and I mean, you know, I know that originally the, the, this moment was the whole deal with Lois, you know, she shoots him with blanks. Right. Uh, and, uh, which I don't know. I think, I, I mean, I don't know that this scene makes, this doesn't put this, this scene makes Lois seem like, uh, a better character. You know, she's not, I mean, yeah, she tried to get him to, to prove he was Superman with the Niagara Falls thing. And but but, you know, she's not like, you know, willing to like totally like pull a gun on him and fake him out. You know, what I mean, you know, it's like <laughs> that is a very extreme take tack to take. I mean, the, the and we've all seen it now, but that is. Yeah. And you're like, uh, you know, in the comics, when she does it with the machine gun, it's one thing. But like to see a human kind of do it, you're like, well, you know, if you miss, you know, you're going to shoot your bullet through that hole and probably hit some other newlyweders in another room over. Right. You do know that because those 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 walls are probably all just paper mache at this point. So it's very dangerous to fire a gun in a in a hotel room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's yeah. This this makes us. It, it leaves Lois looking quite a bit better than it would if they went yeah. with the other other way. I mean, yeah. this is and it's and it's on and it, and because they raised that question, well, why did he do it? It's on Clark. It's on Superman that he, you know, whether he did it some subconsciously or not, it's on him that he revealed the secret to her. Not she didn't like pull it out of him, you know. 
So I, I, I think overall I like this version better. So one of the other, uh, one of the other things that that the movie movie version gets to do, and we talked about this a little bit on, on our Avengers Endgame uh, episode that we did, is that of course when you have humans, you know, not uh, they're not comic book drawings, they're humans. You can get away with a lot from the chemistry of your actors because, of mm-hmm. course, in the comics, Superman and Lois have had decades of history together. And Superman has had great many adventures and he's met other people and you could – and yet he keeps coming back to Lois. And so you're like, well, oh, Christ, that's the great love of his life because he's, he's seen the world. He's seen the galaxy. He's seen the universe and he still comes back to Lois. But in the movies, like basically Lois is like the second woman he's met. And he's already completely declared his love for her. And it's a little, you know, if you think about it too hard and you're not meant to, but if you think about it, you're like, well, does he, you know, does he really have a lot to go on here? Uh, You know, I mean, he's met Lana, uh, who, as we will see in the third movie, Hubba Hubba. And, and then he's met, yeah. yeah, And then he's met, uh, he's met, uh, you know, Lois, maybe you should branch out a little, you know, (laughs) maybe meet some other women, but it's because Reeve and Kidder, despite their apparently off camera, differences had remarkable street screen chemistry. And so you buy it. You just, right. I mean, part of it is, you know, this is, this is their story. Superman low. Everyone knows who these characters are, but they have a, 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 a chemistry, a film movie star, uh, romantic chemistry that papers over a lot of what could be problems in a script. And then you're just like, well, you know, he really has only met two women. He really should think about that. There's other women out there other than Miss Tessmacher. But it's because they're so good together that you buy it, and that's how movies work when they're when they're working. Right. I mean, we have all seen movies where we have been told that these characters are madly in love, and 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 that their their love story is epic, and it's and it you know uh, you know their love. I mean, well, the <laughs> the Star Wars prequels, the Game of Thrones, the love story echoes through time, you know, and, right, and, and right, like right. The, you know the different the, the the offsprings and the family lineage of everything, and it, you know, and 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 then it doesn't work. Right. right. <laughs> it doesn't work for various reasons. The actors, the chemistry, and and I mean, Kidder and Reeve apparently got along like you know squabbling brother and sister on the set. Right. Right. I didn't. Um, I didn't mean to suggest they didn't get along, but they they definitely had a kind of pokey relationship with each other. Right. They did because uh, yeah. uh, she was he was you know she she just you know rolled her eyes at his Juilliard trained uh, method <laughs> acting basically and 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 he you know gave her a dirty look for you know not being serious about it and having a you know a, a paperback novel in her in her belt while right, they were right, right. up in the rafters <laughs> you know or flying sequences so I bet it's been fun to hear them two going back and forth at it no way you you mentioned yeah. Juilliard and there's something I, I a great story I heard we don't think we ever talked about it uh, during Superman one movie minute and I'll just mention it here uh, sure. there Christopher Reed told this great story about where after he got cast to play Superman of course again as you just said he Juilliard trained and he did all this really kind of highbrow stuff he had dinner with his either his father or his mother or maybe both of them and they came from very kind of like patrician backgrounds and had lots of money and 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 you know everything was very high toned or whatever and so he break he tells them the news he tells them the good news he's like i got the part in 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 Superman and apparently the mother or the father assumed he meant George Bernard Shaw's man and Superman. 
<laughs> he had to explain to his parents, no, I'm literally playing the guy in the red underwear. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. No, apparently they were very nice about it. They were thrilled for their son. But it just – I love the idea that like to, to people of a certain educational background, they hear Superman and their mind immediately goes to George Bernard Shaw, this most high-end, real highbrow stuff. And, of course, he's like, no, I'm going to be um, uh, uh, punching uh, people with Kryptonian rocks flying around. That's, that's what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, what do you want for an appetizer? You know, <laughs> it's like okay. I love that story. It's just so funny. Just he's so excited. I'm gonna play Superman. Oh well, that sounds very, very good. Yeah, I can picture them with like pinkies out or whatever. That's very right. You know, they're in like well, you know, tux or whatever. That that background that, that of Reeves' background and, and that's he kind of him and Jack O'Halloran ran up against each other a little bit. Right, uh, apparently. Right, right. Because Jack O'Halloran came from, uh, you know, his father was a purported uh, mobster, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, I mean, he, you know, he don't make any bones about it. He was. And, and uh, you know, Jack O'Halloran was a, a boxer and, a, a you know, kind of a rough and tumble type. Yep. And, you know, Christopher Reeve came from the his New England uh, upper crust background. And they kind of, you know, I think they had a little misunderstanding here and there at first. But, uh, you know, Al Halloran speaks uh, – well of him now, but you know he 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 doesn't he doesn't sugarcoat that he didn't necessarily like him, you know, basically, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the few people I've ever heard say anything negative about Christopher Reeve. But hey, you know, everybody's got somebody that doesn't like him, so you know, and in, right? So. And in the moment, it may have just been you know like oil and oil and water kind of thing at the time. But by the way, I think we've mentioned this in other episodes, but uh, we know of course Jack Halloran never doesn't have any lines in this movie other than or whatever. Yeah. Um, but if you ever want to, if anybody's listening to this, if you really want to see Jack O'Halloran uh, in a good performance, like he where actually got lines, check out 1975's Farewell, My Lovely with Robert Mitchum, which is a, a Dashiell Hammett adaptation. Uh, he plays a boxer named Moose Malloy, and he's got he doesn't have a big part, but it's puts an ongoing part, and he's terrific in it. He, I mean, he plays a boxer, and he plays kind of a dumb guy. So I mean, they were kind of playing to type a little, but he's great in it, and he has a particularly great scene where he learns something uh, upsetting. So he's he had some some chops. I mean, he could probably only do very limited things, but if you gave him the right part, he could probably do it. So he's good there. So if anybody's never seen, that's just a great movie. By itself, uh, but if you're ever just interested in what Jack Halloran sounded like as an actor, uh, check out that movie because it's it's terrific. Yeah, I need to check that out. I've heard I've heard you talk about it, and I've heard other people say it's really good. I need to, I definitely need to check it out. Yeah, yeah. So that, I think overall, this whole you know Lois finds out the secret is handled real well. I mean, at this point. I like the fact that Clark doesn't try to fool Lois with some cockamamie excuse <laughs> like he would have in the comics of old. You know, there's no Superman robot that shows up. I don't have any know. nerve endings in my hand because of a, because of a thing that happened to me when I was fighting. No, no, no. Yeah, he just, yeah I got my hand cut in a, uh, caught in a mechanical rice picker uh, on the phone. <laughs> Luckily, there was a very, very experienced surgeon there that could repair it, yes. Right. <laughs> uh, Star Trek re- reference for you people. Uh, you know, it does. It, <laughs> like anybody it, it, didn't get that, Chris. The nerdlingers that listen to this show, I'm pretty sure they picked up on that reference. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going by the fact that you know that that on our bracket shows, people keep picking all these DS9 <laughs> characters over TOS characters. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying. So, uh, uh, I found that very charming that you didn't think people knew what that reference was. That's great. Uh, okay. I, yeah, I'm still, you know, yeah, I, I forget who are, it's our audience. Of course they know. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, the, the whole thing, it, it, the whole thing with Lois and Clark, it speaks to a respect 
for Lois as a person. Yes. And the fact that he does have feelings for her. This was an advancement of the relationship across all media because this is the first time we got something like this. Even if they do backpedal it later, it's nice to see. And, of course, now we take for granted that, you know, Lois knows that Clark is Superman in, like, almost every version. At some point, mm-hmm. she learns that he's Superman. And it's, I mean, you know, in the Man of Steel in the modern movie, she knows like almost right away, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I mean, she know. Well, actually, she knows before he's even, you know, Clark Kent reporter. She knows. That's right. That's right. So, um, so you know, it's. It, it, I, I, this is a step in the right direction. I and mean, when we had forty some years of it the other way, but you know, if we're going to take Lois serious as a character, uh, you know, uh, then yeah, she kind of needs to be in on it, and it's only fair. So, I, I think this is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Way to develop, you know, the movies have to develop the characters much faster than the comic books can. And you can put up with Lois being kind of a dingbat for, you know, 150 issues of Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. But when you you give these lines to a flesh and butt actor, uh, it's hard to pull off, especially one as fiercely intelligent as Margot Kidder. You know, you're not buying it that she can't figure this out. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So our minutes actually end with the sound of country music playing over radio as we pan over cliffs and dirt roads leading into our next episode. And we should have some fun with that one, I think, Rob. I I hear there's a wide selection. (laughs) I can't eat fish. Uh, (laughs) They have a wide selection, Chris. So I think that'll do it for this, uh, this, uh, these five minutes. What do you think? I think so. I think we've wrapped it up. Okay, so be sure to check out the other fine shows on our network at firewaterpodcast.com, including several Robin, myself hosts. We won't get into those, but they're there, and apparently you guys are aware of those because you know when we make a Star Trek reference, I don't have to explain it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Call back! Uh, we'd love to read, read that. We'd love to read your comments on Superman the movie or Superman two. I got Superman the movie from my previous notes on Superman two over at firewaterpodcast.com and you can leave us a review in iTunes if you're inclined or Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling them nowadays. Uh, thanks as always to Pete the Retailer and Alex Robinson for welcoming us into the Movie by Minute family and allowing us to use their format. Be sure to check out all the great Movie by Minute shows at moviesbyminute.com. And join our our never-ending battle here next week on Superman Movie Minute as the adventure continues. Bye. Bye. Good afternoon, Mr. President. Sorry I've been away so long. I won't let you down again.